it was rough and it seems to be consistent with the booster. Um, so do yourself a favor and get it done on a Friday, the booster at least. About three hours in, I started running a low-grade fever. My eyes were burning. For three days, nearly three days, I did have the headache nonstop. I had body aches nonstop. I wasn't really feeling like eating much. Carrie Rayfield Cabral likely got the coronavirus vaccine early as part of Pfizer's trial, and her dose of reality comes along with great pride in the role she played to help in the vaccine's development. We've lost 300,000 Americans now in, in under a year. And the thought of preventing 300,000 more or being part of something that helped prevent it far outweighs any risks that I could have exposed myself to. I'm Sarah Fenske. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org slash donate. That's stlpr.org slash donate. This is St. Louis on the Air. Yesterday, healthcare workers lined up to get the shot in the arm we've all been waiting for. Yes, I'm talking about the coronavirus vaccine. The Food and Drug Administration cleared it for emergency use on Friday. And yesterday, the vaccines began. But some Americans have already gotten the vaccine. They are the volunteers who participated in vaccine trials in recent months and agreed to either get a placebo or the real thing in the name of science and civic duty. One of those Americans is Carrie Rayfield Cabral. She spoke with our producer, Emily Woodbury, this morning. Carrie explained that she's a resident of Arnold and she suffers from pre-existing conditions that include asthma. She often gets pneumonia several times each year. So, you know, the opportunity to participate um, was a little, little selfish, too, because, you know, I knew that if I didn't get the placebo and actually got the active vaccine that my chances of getting COVID were, were going to be extraordinarily low. And with what would be considered my pre-existing conditions of comorbidities, um, I probably wouldn't fare very well. And so, you know, part of it was a little selfish on my part, but the majority of it was out of civic duty. I mean, we can't have these things develop if we don't have people who are willing to make themselves a guinea pig. Now, Carrie was part of the Pfizer trial. It will be a 26-month process from start to finish. She went in for her first shot in late September. She had no reaction other than a sore arm and a very mild headache. Three weeks later, she went in for the booster. About an hour after I actually got the booster, I started feeling a little bad. Um, I had a headache, and that just kind of progressed throughout the day about... Two hours into it, I, I had body aches. Um, about three hours in, I started running a low-grade fever. My eyes were burning. Um, my fever never got over 100.4. For me, that's a little little high. Um, call the nursing line and let them know, hey, you know, I'm having a fever, but it's, it's a low-grade fever. Um, I am having, you know, it's a pretty bad headache and body aches. 
And uh, the nurse assured me, she said, you know, that's actually pretty normal. It's your body's response. It's an immune response where your body is actually trying to produce those antibodies to fight off if you actually had that disease to fight it off. And then I was like, well, then I guess I probably didn't get the placebo. (laughs) And she said, yeah, that's probably a good indication. Um, So, you know, this went on for almost three days. After the third day, I, I woke up and was perfectly fine. There were no other lingering effects. But for three days, nearly three days, I did have the headache nonstop. I had body aches nonstop. I wasn't really feeling like eating much, but I just powered through, drank a lot of water, you know, just kind of tried to take care of myself and, and rest a little bit. Then about three weeks after that, almost to the day of me getting that shot, my partner's son came to visit for his weekend visit, and he's, he's 13, and um, did our normal routine. And, I mean, we're all very close and, and uh, you know, normal family stuff, hanging out in the hot tub, you know, drinking hot chocolate, things like that. And, you know, returned him to his mother on Sunday. And then Monday afternoon, she called my partner to inform him that that the child was showing symptoms of COVID and that his stepbrother had actually shown symptoms a week before and that the Friday that we picked him up, she actually had taken the stepbrother to get a COVID test. Didn't didn't share that information with us. I feel like that might have, you know, changed our plan for the weekend slightly. Um, turned out the, the partner's son tested positive for COVID as well. And uh, then my partner tested positive for COVID, and so did his coworker who was with him on Monday when he received the call. Um, he had the body aches, the headache. He's still got some lingering effects. That was November 6th was when he would have been exposed. The, the bonus kid, I call him a bonus kid, the 13-year-old son doesn't. I mean, he seems to have bounced back pretty quickly. He, he did run a fever and, you know, had some body aches and things like that and a headache. Um, but he, he bounced back very quickly, but and you I were was okay. exposed, you know, not just by my partner's son, but also by my partner. And even with the closeness that we had, which you would anticipate that the viral load would probably be pretty high floating around my house at that time. <laughs> um, I, I had no, no symptoms, no nothing. Now, Carrie told Emily that she doesn't know for sure whether she got the real vaccine or the placebo. But based on all that, she and her health care provider are pretty sure it was the real deal. Regardless, she won't have to wait the entire 26 months to find out. When she went in for a recent blood draw, Pfizer told her they plan to unblind the study earlier than planned, and they will offer the real vaccine to those who got the placebo. They also informed me at that time that they were looking at... um, testing on participants that are 16 and younger. They were looking for 12 and over, um, but under 16, because I believe they had already started trials with with kids 16 and older. What is your takeaway from this? What would you like people to know about your experience? Well, (laughs) I mean, the best advice I can give is if you opt to do this, the, the initial shot, I mean, you you could get it at any time. But when you get your three-week booster, schedule that for a Friday. Do yourself a favor. Um, 
it was rough, and it seems to be consistent with the booster. Um, the the three other trial participants that were also interviewed by the PA in Great Britain, um, two two of the other participants had the same reaction that I did, and you know they likened it to a very bad multiple day hangover. <laughs> Um, so do yourself a favor and get it done on a Friday, the booster at least, um, to kind of make yourself more comfortable in your home and, you know, be able to, to mitigate some of those side effects or make it less less uh, harsh <laughs> than if you were working. Um, and it's, as far as my, my thoughts on all of it, I'm extremely proud at having even been given the opportunity to um to participate in it um we've lost 300,000 Americans now in in under a year and the thought of preventing 300,000 more or being part of something that helped prevent it far outweighs any risks that I could have exposed myself to i trust that the doctors and scientists that were in charge of this, that developed it, they know what they're doing. They didn't get where they are by not knowing what they're doing. And it irritates me a little bit when when people, you know, break out the conspiracy theories or or talk about getting microchipped. Um, my my father's one of those, so um, that hits a little close to home when people say that. But um, there's, there's no conspiracy to this. This is just about saving lives. That's it. I mean, if you would have said, if you would have run these same conspiracies or said some of these crazy things during the polio outbreak, people would have looked at you like you were crazy. You know, that vaccine was a miracle for a lot of people. It saved the lives of God knows how many kids, you know, saved them from, from handicap, being handicapped. It just, it's, Sorry, I get a little emotional. Um, it it sounds ahead. like you would advise people get this. Just manage Absolutely. your expectations. Know that there mm-hmm. will be slight side effects, but you're doing yeah. it for the greater good, and, and it is Absolutely. a beneficial thing. Absolutely, 100%. We won't get over this, and we will not go back to normal unless people in, in mass get this vaccine. I'm not saying you should make it mandatory. I I think it should be up to each individual, but weigh your options. You know, are are you going to do this to make things better for everyone or are you going to not do it just because you read something on InfoWars? You know? I get a little I don't wouldn't even call it passionate, but yeah, when it comes to the the whole anti-COVID vaccine movement, Um, you know, undoing the damage. That's another driving factor for me. Undoing the damage that my my father has wreaked on the small town where I'm from um, is a huge driving factor. Uh, He's he's very well-known and well-liked in this tiny little town. It's called Ellington, Missouri. And host men's meetings, you know, talking about their little conspiracies and all kinds of other crazy things, refuses to wear a mask, 
Um, these are simple things that can keep his neighbors safe, that could keep his own mother safe, and he won't do it. And this is a very small town with probably under 400 people, and they have just, their community, the county has just been ravaged, absolutely ravaged by COVID. They've lost people. You know, lives have been lost unnecessarily, unnecessarily. And they, they have no access to uh, health care. I mean, they've got one clinic, but they really have no access to hospitals for at least an hour, hour and a half drive. Um, there used to be a hospital in the community. It still stands there. My, my grandfather built it. And it was shuttered a few years ago, you know, when the, the state of Missouri made a bunch of cuts. Um, and so that's what we're seeing. A lot of these smaller communities that once had hospitals that could assist with outbreaks, they don't have that resource anymore. And the resource for them is hours away. And these small communities tend to be the ones that have the least amount of accurate communication with COVID. You know, they, they watch a lot of Fox News. They watch a lot of InfoWars. And all it takes is one civic leader to, to start spouting off conspiracies for that to just ignite the whole community. Do you think seeing what you've been through with the vaccine and it sounds like you feel like it was very much a benefit to you in the past year oh, and yeah. and seeing, you know, you said the community has lost people. I mean, do you think that's starting to change minds? I don't really know. Um, I would hope so. My grandmother, my grandmother is 87 years old and she lives in the community. And, you know, at first she, she was kind of following my father's lead. And I talked to her the other day and she, she told me, she said, the minute the vaccine comes out, I'm going and I'm able to, I'm getting it. Um, so I think that, you know, an example, like actually seeing or knowing someone who has had the vaccine or has been through the trials can change minds. I think it can. I think that they're being very vocal in your social media interactions or interactions in general about your experience with it. I think it can change minds. You know, when, when they first started talking about the vaccine publicly and, and uh, things like that, I lived in a town called Potosi, Missouri for 18 years. My, my ex-husband was a football coach and a teacher there. Um, it's the town, the community where my, my daughters were raised. And at the beginning of all of this, there were a lot of people in that town. And they're not a very large town. The population is like 3,000. Um, there were a lot of people who were, oh, it's a hoax. It's, you know, this, it's that. And I have seen a shift since it started directly affecting them and they started losing members of their community, like actual members of their community, people that they knew, you know, school teachers. Um, my, my girls' confirmation class teacher passed away. She was in her 30s, you know. Um, I think it had an impact on that community. And I think that once something is real to people, like it's actually a tangible, real thing, that's when they start believing that, you know, oh, gosh, maybe I should be wearing a mask. Because the whole community was so anti-mask at first. It was unreal. Um, but they took such a huge hit as far as infections and hospitalizations and, you know, people having to be, be 
trucked off to to a hospital that's you know a couple hours away because there's just no room for for them in in hospitals nearby. That brought it home for them, and I think that if some of these smaller communities could actually see and hear from people who have gotten the vaccine, been exposed, you know, you've been exposed to COVID, you know it works. They're not having side effects. Nobody sprouted horns or a tail. I heard that joke so many times. Have you got a tail yet? No, I don't. But I tell you what I don't have, I don't have COVID. And that is Carrie Rayfield Cabral. She participated in Pfizer's vaccine trial this fall and spoke with producer Emily Woodbury this morning. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.